Welcome to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com. Joining me today is Anthony Santucci, the Executive Director of CADA. Um, thanks for uh, sparing some time. Just very briefly, just tell me a little bit about CADA and its aims and objectives. Well, uh, CADA was formed approximately 50 years ago by four, two former alcoholics that saw at the time that there was really no rehab, rehabilitation efforts being made to assist people that were addicted to alcohol and subsequently mm-hmm. drugs. And its aims since then has been to obviously bring, be an advocate for these things and to be proactive as well. Uh, currently, as time has evolved, our mandate has come back very specifically to alcohol. Yeah. And uh, our vision is really to change Bermuda's relationship with alcohol. Right. Uh, and we do this in many different ways. Yeah. We have a life skills program, which we run at two principal two schools, middle and senior schools here in the island. Last year we graduated 69 from that program. This year we have 87 in that program, mm-hmm. so we're excited about that. Obviously we picked up a fifth class. We have the Let Us Drive program, mm-hmm. and do no small part to our significant sponsors, Bacardi, Gosling, Sports, Library, and the Corporation Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And to date, that program, uh, which is nine years old in July, has taken home 13,788 people. Wow. So in this 10th year, we expect we're going to get very close to 15,000. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about that mm-hmm. as well. So, as and of course, we do advocacy. Yeah, we do a considerable amount of advocacy, yeah. as you well know. Mm-hmm. And whether it's on social media, whether it's through traditional media, uh, that's how we do that. All one-on-one presentations, quite right. frankly, and we okay. do quite a bit of them as well. So you 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 get out there. We you get out there a lot. Get out there. Yeah. You mentioned uh, then Bermuda's relationship with alcohol. It's an extraordinarily strong relationship. Isn't <laughs> it? Bermuda's relationship with alcohol, uh, and, and the analogy I may or may not probably use appropriately. It's just like a bad marriage. Mm. You, you know, and... Not You're bad, stuck in it, but you can't get out. <laughs> exactly. You know, and instead of doing the healthy thing and stopping and ascertaining that what the heck's going on, we just keep tumbling further and further into this relationship. And to it's like we're all falling into an abyss, quite frankly. But it's acceptable, isn't it? You know, that's the thing. That, that that's the unfortunate thing. It's acceptable by... I don't want to say everybody, but by the community at large. Mm. No matter we talk about, you know, in the United States, they cringe because they have a 33% of all fatalities from D, uh, uh, 33% from DUIs. Yeah. You know, in Bermuda, that's 75%. Yeah, well, we're going to come on to that later on. But you yes. know, yeah. and, and they're, they're pulling their hair out, and we're at three times that. Why is that? Is that it's historic, obviously, but... Um, but you know, you, you know, I, I, and you know, I talk to politicians from all spheres all the time, and the first question is, what can we do right now to fix this? Nothing right now. <laughs> and I hate to tell you that is exactly my answer. So nothing. Well, you know, I said, uh, you, if you're really interested in fixing this problem, there are certain steps that have to be taken, and those aren't steps that Carter Willy Nilly came up with because mm-hmm. other countries have actually gone through this process. Mm-hmm. You know. It, Ten years ago, drinking and driving in Britain was the normal. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it isn't no, anymore. Now you're a social pariah of if you course. do. Of course. You know, in Canada ten years ago, 
drinking and driving was the norm. Look, guess what? It isn't anymore. If you have a DUI, it's a criminal offense, and they can stop you from entering Canada. That's right, yeah. A and they do. Right. Some chap the other day stopped me and said, you know, I have a DUI and I can't go to Canada. I said, well, good for you. <laughs> they, they just don't want you driving drunk in their country. You know, just this morning I had a chap that was a Bermudian, was driving in Florida, surprise, surprise, drunk. Now he's saying, oh, my God, you know, I got a DUI in Florida, and I have to take this program which is effectively the DUI school. Uh, is there one in Bermuda? Because I can't, when I go back, I can't drive, and they mm -hmm. won't let me drive, and this is the, and I'm like, <laughs> you're off the road, you have to take a program, and it's not even a, it's not even a discussion point. He's, and, he's, and he's Bermudian, and, and this is what happens when he goes back to America. Yeah. Well, we'll come on to a little bit about DUIs later on, perhaps, but when I was uh, looking, researching about Carter, I did notice, um, there was a survey, the Bermuda Youth Survey in 2011 by the uh, DNDC, and there were some fairly shocking statistics. Uh, it says, for instance, the average age for first trying alcohol was 12 years old. More than half of 15-year-olds had tried alcohol. That was now five years ago. That's right. Where do you think the situation is now with that? You know, subsequent to the 2011 report, the DNDC, who has an amazing research department, mm. it's very small and nimble, uh, they did a primary school survey and sub because this average age of first use was scary. And they actually ascertained that the average age of first use was just over seven. Right. So really, effectively, we're starting to introduce our kids to the legal drug alcohol mm. at seven years old. And there lies our challenge, quite frankly. I will say that the 2016 report will be out in March. Oh, will it? Okay. So... That's a good thing. We ha we're going to get some good data, but there are other communities around the world. And I was just at a drugs and alcohol conference in Washington State, mm -hmm. uh, where marijuana is legal. And they in Colorado were there to uh, talking about marijuana and alcohol, and talked about lifetime usages, and specifically about alcohol and drugs, alcohol and marijuana. And there are the irony is that their lifetime uses figures are very close to Bermuda's. Right. And I say that to say that in excess of 50% of all our kids from this survey, quite frankly, will use alcohol. Mm. And in the region of 20% will consume marijuana. But on the flip side of that, roughly 10% will smoke cigarettes. Right. You know, and I, I look at that data, and I look at their burden report, which came out in October, which sort of fits into the lifetime uses analogy I'm going to try to make, is that it, the value of tobacco between 2013 and 2014 went, went down a million dollars. Right. So clearly, if the people are importing less tobacco, there's clearly less usage. Absolutely, yeah. We now have new legislation beating up tobacco, where... The usage is on its way down and subsequently up because less than 10% of our kids will smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. They're telling you we know this, the lifetime usage factor, whereas we know in excess of 50% will consume alcohol. And then during the same period of time, 2013 to 14, the, we imported an additional 400,000 liters of alcohol. 
So we now, as a wonderful community, in 2014 imported 6.5 million liters of alcohol. <laughs> the 65,000 people. <laughs> and all of us, and, and except that all of us don't drink, and no, a quite. significant portion of the 65,000 are kids. Yeah, yeah. So if you think 20,000 adults, 30,000 at the high end. So it comes down to Bermuda's relationship, which we talked about before. It comes right back to that relationship. And, and you mentioned uh, what politicians are saying to you, what can you do today? That's right. And you can't do anything today. And, so and what, what, is, the, what is it that the, needs that, to be done the, to stop this relationship? It, it's really, you know what, we, we have recommended and I want to say it's 2007, we suggested an alcohol bureau of control. That's right, and, and also the sobriety uh, checkpoints, social hosting laws. Social hosting laws. Uh, we should suggest it, uh, recommend it, control, scream, shout that the way we should fund this agency, the alcohol bureau of control, would be through a sales tax on alcohol. And if you assume we're selling an excessive, in the region of $200 million a year in alcohol sales, yeah. that would generate. Tw that would generate 20%, 20 million dollars a year yeah. towards an agency in that would whose resources would go to education, intervention, uh, and prevention. And that makes absolute good sense I to most totally people agree, in the yeah. world. So why, why do you think that's not actually happened then? Ah, is, is there no political will to do it? No community it, it, will it, to the, do it? You know, the community will... I shouldn't say that. It is, Two percent of, of the pop residential population wants sobriety checkpoints. It's not a discussion. We, we uh, the DNDC has their Q and A. Quite frankly, and eighty-two percent says we should have sobriety checkpoints. Sixty-plus percent says we should have an alcohol bureau of control. So the, really, the difficult part is getting policymakers who have grown up in an environment where you've been enabling a bad behavior or a relationship that, i.e. alcohol, uh -huh. to understand that, you know what, you don't actually have to have this relationship. Clearly there's an intensity there that we need to for to break that process. And th we're, uh, we've joined, I don't want to say forces, but maybe forces is the appropriate word, mm. uh, with the Bermuda Coalition. And uh -huh. um, we started in, I want to say, October. We did a presentation to the Bermuda Union of Teachers. Uh, in April, we're going to be meeting with several different churches and school PTAs really to continue to push the importance of social hosting legislation. Can you just, because explain, we know what, can you just explain what social hosting what legislation is? What social hosting is? legislation is, what social hosting legislation does, it makes it illegal or a cr criminal offense for me to give your kid alcohol at my house. Right. So if little Johnny or Susie's over at your house and they come over and they start drinking, well, guess what? You are criminally liable for that. Okay. Difficult to prove. That's right. You know, but it, the reality of the fact is we get calls, unfortunately, all the time about kids drinking in social environments and underage kids and parents saying, what should I do? And is there anything we can do? And I say, well, there isn't any social hosting legislation to prevent that, but have you had, actually had the conversation with the parent involved? You know, it, it, it's, just, it, it's just inappropriate. And some, some parents think it's okay to give kids alcohol in it, what they would consider a controlled environment. Yeah, if and they were 15 or 16, they think it's probably well, okay. Well, or younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. Like yeah. The, the, you know, the survey says yeah. it's, it starts at 12 and the yeah. subsequent survey says it starts at 7 and, and the reality of the fact is all 60% of our kids say they get the alcohol from whom? 
So if mom and dad think it's okay to poison their kids because that's what they did growing up, then we need to change that behavior as well. We need to change that mindset. And, and, and that's and very that, difficult. And that's, and, but not impossible because we have, no. we, have, we have communities such as the UK and Canada where they've actually made those significant gains. And people now have an acute awareness that the longer I keep my kid off away from consuming alcohol, the better they're going to be. Because we know, social science tells us that a kid that drinks alcohol before the age of 15 are four times more likely to become addicted to alcohol or drugs. Mm. And I can promise you not one of those parents want their kids to be addicted to alcohol or drugs. No, absolutely. I, I can't imagine. It, it's illogical that they would, and I articulate firmly that that's the case, that they don't want it. Perhaps a, a, a parent drinking isn't going to think of the effects it's going to have on their child. That's right. And, and remember, our, our kids are amazing vessels, and it's not what we do, not what we say; it's what we do. And if you tell them it's not okay, but you sit there and you're demonstrating that it is okay, there's got to be some consistency. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? If you're just having a casual beer on a Friday yeah, night, very tricky. I mean, the social hosting uh, social hosting law is a good idea, but I, you know, I wanted to explore a bit more that that's that's one way of enforcing something. But it's got to come at both ends, That's right. It? You know, it's, social, so the, it's, the, it's the mindset of parents, perhaps, the mindset of other people, organizations, it, it's it, got to change. It's, it's about, obviously, <clears throat> the legislation. It's about the advocacy and really having a very robust media campaign to support the program. And, and that requires resources. Mm. And the area that we and most pragmatic people think those resources should come from is by a tax, sales tax on alcohol. If you're con you're drinking it, then you should subsequently pay for it. Do you think that'll ever happen? Well, you know, and politically extremely unpopular. Politically unpopular, but socially very popular. I mean, if they could do it in Kansas, which is one of the most conservative states in the United States, it seems to me that there's opportunities for Bermuda. I mean, they've done it in Kansas last year. They did it in Alaska last year. They have some, a, new, a bill in Massachusetts, and they're going to probably call that a progressive state. But there are some, some synergies between, at, it, as it relates to sales tax on alcohol and taking those resources to put in prevention. So have you had any feedback from politicians about the sales tax on alcohol idea? Oh, the, Obviously, not, I've had feedback. Um, you it's know, been negative I, or positive? Not negative, not positive, and they just say, oh, my, "Good idea, you oh, okay. know, so good idea." It. They're shelving it. Good idea, right. but you know how we like to shelve things. But really, it, it, it's just practical, pragmatic solutions to really address. And we don't even talk about the healthcare costs relative to that. I was you're reading my mind, obviously, you, you, you because know, I was going to uh, talk about because the it makes costs. sense. I mean, I can tell you. Jeremy, that between 2000 and 2014, we spent $37,285,884.34. How's that for a figure? <laughs> on, on what exactly? <laughs> on alcohol-related collisions. Right, okay. And that would be people that went to the emergency room and people that had stage. And, right. I, and then I would have a conversation with Dr. Francioni, mm -hmm. and he'd say, okay, that's the hospital cost, Anthony, but what about the cost of the rehab, flying people out, and all that stuff I said exactly, Jeremy. And that's only for accidents. And that's just for accidents. So it's not but other health-related. It's, it's not, you know. Um, 
Because I know in the UK it costs the NHS billions. The, and, and, I, and, I, and when the resources are made available, we can extrapolate what the real cost mm. is. But I'm giving you real data. Yeah, absolutely, just straight from, straight from accidents. Know, but that's not the thing. So really it's like a, an iceberg, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? there's really controversial uh, CMO, or Chief Medical Officer of Britain, her name is Dame Sally Davis, just said yesterday in the Telegraph. I don't know what that te te the Telegraph has value as a newspaper, but she did an interview and she said, before I drink a glass of wine, I think about cancer. Right. And of course, she got, she got all sorts of pushback on the, on the medium today. And, and what she means by that is that the Chief Medical Officer put out a report in January in the World Health Organization back in 2014 that talked about alcohol and cancers. Now, whether that's breast cancer for women, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer. colon cancer, cirrhosis of the liver, and they, and they gave specific scientific data supporting the fact that an abuse of alcohol re reinforces the opportunity, the probability of getting these cancers. Now, they say that if you're a woman and you have more than two, on an average, two drinks a day, you're going to increase your chances of breast cancer by 20%. Mm. You wouldn't drink? You would think about it, you would, but that's the sort of scientific data that we don't discuss when we talk about healthcare costs. Yeah, exactly. You know, we talk about the fact that cigarettes are killing us, and we know that. Yeah. Less people are smoking. Yeah. We, be, we put in legislation to deal with cigarettes, and less people are smoking already. But we're importing more alcohol. But we're importing uh, almost a half a million additional liters a year in alcohol. And we put no resources there. There's no legislation to support that. The most significant piece of legislation in the last three years has been we now sell alcohol on Sundays. That's right. There we go. Hence, 400,000 additional liters. Yep. <laughs> hey, Ray. I, you know, and we say we can't serve underage kids that look like they may be 18. Well, what, pray tell, does look like 18 mean? I looked like I was 18 when I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's not funny. So the, the legislation is there, but it has these little, wonderful little caveats. Yeah. That looks like 18. No, mamma mia. You know. Carter um, is often associated, and you, know, you have touched on this, with the drink driving legislation. <laughs> and on your website, um, it says that uh, it is Carter's view that sobriety checkpoints are needed in Bermuda to reduce a high number of alcohol-related road fatalities and road collisions. And yet, um, we're still waiting over a year now? Uh, longer than that. Well, over a year, I say, when it was announced in the House that the Transport Minister was looking at breathalysers. And I think, I think you, they've decided I, on the type of breathalyser, but we still haven't I, seen it in Bermuda. You know, the Transport Minister, who clearly is an amazingly busy fellow, uh, two years ago, maybe three, two and a half years ago, said that sobriety checkpoints were coming and he was going to reduce the BAC level down to 0 0.05. That's right. And that was his first statement on this. And it's still 0 0.08, isn't and it? And it's still 0.08. A year later, he says, he, he spoke to stakeholders mm. and they were in in favor of that. Well, clearly he didn't speak to prevention stakeholders because we know that if you go from 0.8 to 0.5, it has an immediate impact on reducing road fatalities, quite frankly, and drinking and driving. So it's also equivalent to, say, half a pint, is That's it? right. Right. Okay. You know, it's not a question. It's science and research supports going down to 0.5. Yep. Uh, so no 0.5, no sobriety checkpoints. 
and what 160 odd deaths in the last 10 years 75 percent of them are alcohol related more deaths on the roads than there are murders by gangs more deaths on the roads than gang violence deaths through gang violence and so why? why why the apparent hesitancy to do it in your opinion uh, I am just, <laughs> I can't answer that. Very really politely. Uh, I can't answer that. Uh, I, I have a thought, you know, but thoughts aren't facts. Well, give me your you opinion. You know, I, I just don't think there's any political will to do it, you know. And yet an awful lot of people have spoken saying we need to do something about it. When I say an awful lot of people, I mean the police commissioner, the, 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 the roads inspector, the, 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 the politicians the, have... The police say we need an alcohol bureau of control, the police support sobriety checkpoints, yep. and the police support social hosting laws. So if your principal crime agency says these things make sense to us, and, it's, and you have the coal, Bermuda Coalition saying the same thing, and Carter having advocated this for almost a decade plus now, does it make sense that your policyholders won't do anything? Clearly, we're not advocating loud enough or hard enough. You know, as the minister said, he spoke to the stakeholders, so I asked him whom, and he didn't say whom, so I figured if you tell me who you spoke to, then I can go have the conversation, and maybe we can educate them on the science. Were you, were you consulted? Uh, no, of course not. That's rather strange, isn't it? Strange. Well, strange is an interesting word. It would seem to me that if the minister wanted to speak to a stakeholder, he would speak to, I would suggest, not beating myself, beating caught over the back, that the lead advocacy agency. Yeah, it's such a simple solution, isn't it? It is. And cheap. Inexpensive. And easy. Yeah, real easy. I mean, think about it. You save lives, you have a significant impact on health care costs in a positive way, uh, uh, so, help me understand. So you're obviously very disappointed. Ah, no. Motivated. Motivated? Motivated. Motivated to carry on? Completely. So how are you going to do it? How are you going uh, to keep yourself motivated to uh, push for this? Because you, you, you're saying you've been navigating it for a decade. That's right. So how, how are you going to How do I get motivated? I tell you how we get motivated. I get motivated because we create relationships with the Bermuda Coalition, mm -hmm. and who are not necessarily new to the advocacy component, but certainly new to having a relationship with Carter. And what this says is that there are a lot of like-minded individuals out there that are willing to join us in taking on the fight. And that's a good thing, because if you're constantly articulating this concept, and then people say, you know, it makes sense to us. Let's work together to see if we can push this forward. So you're trying it from a different angle? Uh, always. You know, you know, it's okay. We've haven't quite achieved it this way. And we've had lots of successes along the way, uh, but we haven't achieved the principal goal, and that is the creation of alcohol bureau of control, sobriety checkpoints, and social hosting laws. You know, it's just the most logical thing. And, you know, and when, you know, 50 states have alcohol bureau of controls or alcohol marijuana bureau of controls, and there are agencies within the counties in the UK that you manage all of this, it just... I don't know when to say it makes sense, but... Just moving on and keeping with the DUI theme, uh, as I understand it, the police are not allowed to take blood samples of uh, someone uh, involved in that accident who's receiving care in hospital. That's right. Is that something that should be changed in your opinion? Uh, we, we at Carter have advocated that that should be the case, that whenever there is a collision 
and there is injury, that the police should have the opportunity to take evidentiary blood. And we appreciate that blood being taken by phlebotomists for health reasons and evidentiary reasons are two completely yes. distinct and different. But we have roughly 36 phlebotomists trained in Bermuda. So the resources are there. So they could be on call. And, and, and right now they, they, are, they have a doctor on call, right? which is considerably more expensive than having a nurse on call. Mm. So we, we advocate that you should use the nurses as on-call phlebotomists to Why come do you think in. that hasn't happened? Again, lack of will. You, you, you know, it's like the weather. If I, I can't tell you what it's going to be like today. I wake up in the morning like most of us. I look out and I say, okay, I'll put my rain suit on just in case. Do you find it really strange that, um, well, obviously you find it really strange, but tell me about this, because we started our discussion by saying Bermuda has a very strong relationship with alcohol, and everybody agrees that Bermuda has a very strong yep. relationship with alcohol, but at the other end of the spectrum, there isn't an awful lot being done about it, but Nothing, according right. to you. But you tell me. Well, I can't, I'm doing an interview, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I simply say, there's a whole lot of conversations going on about this, and there's a very instant, infinitesimal will to address this issue. And whoever those stakeholders are that they never let us have access to are more interested in maintaining the status quo. Of course, the cynic would say that the government gets a hell of a slight tax. But, 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 but we don't even have to get so much government gets from this. We can go look at the import duties. We know they're getting $30 million a year in tax from it. We won't get any less. The only difference is that you put a sales tax on it and we'll start getting prudent at the other end. And even though they made thirty million they may make roughly thirty million tax sales tax revenue, how much is it costing us in cost? Think well, about all look if you go down to the hospital if collisions cost us thirty seven million. Mm. We haven't me measured alcohol-related illnesses, yeah. and that's just a hospital cost. So let's assume $100 million a year in expenses with $30 million in revenue. If you were running your business, you'd be in the, you'd be in the red. I'd be bankrupt. Completely. <laughs> so, and of course, all this has a knock-on effect with our health insurance. Costs. That's right. Yeah, I, and, I, and you, I got rather irate every year. They tell me it's going up. Mm. And I'm thinking, well, I haven't did anything. <laughs> I, I went and got my annual physical, and you know, a few, but that's about it. But I spent thousands of dollars in healthcare there's, insurance there's, premiums. There's talking to you and looking at your body language, obviously, our listeners are not going to see, but you're very expressive with your body language. There's a clear sense of frustration. Do you, do you sometimes just feel that Carter's banging his head against a brick wall? I certainly hope not, because then I would have a split head. <laughs> but do you have a headache? <laughs> I, I would say tired and all, but that would push the healthcare cost up. Uh, no is a noble goal. It's a very important goal. Uh, task to them. We just happen to have been, I to date and my board are the ones that have been burdened quite fairly with working on achieving these objectives. Right. And I, I, unfortunately, my personality type and clearly that of my board is that we're very goal oriented and we just see the goal and we keep chipping away at achieving those goals. If you had three wishes, what would they be? Mm -hmm. Uh, alcohol Bureau Control, <laughs> social hosting laws, <laughs> <laughs> and social hosting legislation, and the sales tax. 
Uh, and well, obviously, the Alcoa Bureau of Control financed through a sales tax. Just think, $20 million. You think of Focus, you think of Pride, you think of the Family Center, all the opportunities to make sure that we, uh, life skills in schools, all those things that make sense to ensure that we have a healthy, healthy future. On that note, thank you very much. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for tuning in to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com, your 24-7 Bermuda news source.